Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to Soul to Soul and a fresh 2019 it is indeed. It's great to be back with you guys here, right here live in the studio at Biyachad. And it's good to have a new beginning, a new year, and thinking new beginnings come with new perspectives, new ways of seeing things. Yesterday was a momentous day on the Chabad calendar. And in many ways, one could say on the Jewish calendar, it is the day that 68 years ago, the Lubavitcher Rebbe accepted the leadership of the Chabad movement. And over the next 44 years of the Rebbe's leadership, he shaped world Jewry in many, many ways. And what I wanted to share with you today, perhaps just a little bit, is some of that perspective of the Rebbe as in his inaugural address on that very first day, the 10th of Shvat in 1951, what his words were. He gave a very famous discourse called Basi Ligani, which was based on a teaching of his predecessor, the previous Rebbe. And he was trying to shape a certain perspective on life that we ought to have. And the truth is, Oftentimes, we are bogged down by the realities of life. Just talking here in the studio about two rabbis losing a father last week. Everyone goes through their particular personal individual challenges. We all face obstacles of life, and that's the reality, unfortunately, that we do face various challenges. The question is, how do we approach, how do we respond to the challenges we face? Let me give you some examples that come to mind. So... Thank God I'm a parent of six beautiful children. And you ever get the report as a parent that your kid is not conforming in the classroom. Maybe they instigate and disrupt others in the class. What's your response? Now, sometimes I think, oh, my goodness, what kind of parent am I? I'm a failure, a dismal failure. Look, I don't know how to raise my kids. Or perhaps a more optimistic approach, maybe is to say, well, every kid has got their ups and downs, and just because the kid is going through a down today doesn't mean that the child is inherently bad. The kid has got some kind of challenges. So there's different responses. In fact, I'd love to hear yours. Please feel free to shoot them into the studio. You could send your SMS to the studio line right here. It's 34519. If you want to share your perspective, what would you do? You get a phone call, you're told by the school that your kid is not behaving properly, making trouble, instigating. How do you respond? Now, I do see some responses coming through. <laughs> and, okay, it's, it's, I'm not going to read everybody's responses here, although we'd love to get some more. By the way, if you want a WhatsApp, that's free. It's 061-895-1019. Again, 061-895-1019. And... Just seeing here different responses people have. Some people prefer, I wish my kid were like the other kid. You know, you want a cookie-cut replica. His sister is much better behaved. Why can't he be like her? Or here's a really good one. I like this one. He has lots of energy that needs to be channeled in direct, in the correct way. And I think that's a very important perspective. There's others here, you know, kids aren't as well as well-mannered as they used to be. Others saying he's got leadership qualities. That's also a good one. He's got leadership qualities. That's how he gets to instigate others. No one will listen to him otherwise. 
So I think that's a very important perspective to look at here is how do we respond? What is our response to that? Now, I'll throw a few other questions out there. Somebody opens a competing business next to yours. What is your response? Please feel free to send in what you would say to 34519 or the WhatsApp 0618951019. Again, that's 0618951019. What do you say when somebody opens a competing business next to you? Okay, the responses are coming through. Good to see. Well, this one says, I'm just going to have to work harder. Another one saying, I'm not good at my job. Ooh, you see, there's different ways of seeing it. I'm not good at my job, or maybe I got to try harder. No, they won't bankrupt you. Don't worry about that. Maybe they will. Who knows? That depends on how you see things. You know the story about the fellow who sent off to Limpopo to sell shoes. There were actually two sales reps sent from the company. One guy sends a message back, cancel the order. No one here likes to wear shoes. The other one sends a WhatsApp back to his boss, send trailer loads of shoes. No one here is wearing shoes. It's a great opportunity. You see different perspectives. So one could say there's tremendous opportunity here in this business, and that's why this competition opening. Another might say, let me improve my game. Others say, I can't believe it. Maybe there should be some law. Hasagas gavul. Don't in, in any way encroach on my territory and my business matters. So, of course, there's lots of perspectives on how to respond. And um, th- this is someone else who writes here. Uh, can we impart gratitude in an instant society? Thank you for your wisdom. Can we impart gratitude? Absolutely. I think it's a mindset. Absolutely a mindset. And using gratitude as that example, which I appreciate that message. Yes, maybe even when you're thrown a curveball, a challenge, perhaps that is also an opportunity for growth. And that is the message I want to get at today. Give you another example, considering that I work with the elderly. You got a big milestone birthday coming up. Someone's turning uh, 75, 85, 95, whatever it might be, whatever age you are getting into. And the question is, how do you respond? And I could tell you that some people tell me, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. My best years are behind me. I'm, I'm unable to be productive anymore. I need to retire, you know, and, and grappling with the younger generation who just don't get it. Whereas others see it in a different way, you know, older is wiser and uh, per- perhaps I could look forward to many more happy, healthy years. And of course, I think that is a lot more of a positive approach. And the reason I start with that is because if we look at the perspective that the Rebbe tried to share, there are two opposite inclinations and temperaments among the human being. And one is optimism, a positive approach to life, and the other is pessimism. When I say optimism, pessimism, I'm not referring to expectations about or forecasts of the future. You know, I'm not talking about if Armageddon is upon us or whether we're going to win the lottery or even about who's going to win the next elections here in South Africa. I'm talking about a particular outlook in life that encompasses the past and the present and even the future. You look right here in this country of how many people have emigrated, and that's not my topic of discussion today. Emigration is certainly on the rise. People think they'll do better elsewhere. Can't deny that there is crime existing in the country. 
but an optimistic approach is one where we look at the positive that could exist as well. And a positive perspective sees things in the favorable way, whereas the negative perspective is one that always finds the problems. And we all know in ourselves which category perhaps we fit more into. And the Rebbe's first message to his Hasidim, and he was coming in a time post-Holocaust when there were many, many challenges that world juries faced at that time. How could you believe in man? Even in God, it was challenging at the time. And when we come back, I'm going to look at one of those perspectives and then tell you about a very exciting new course we're offering starting next week that you could join in and see the Torah's perspective on life. It's very different than societies. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 IFM. And we're back here in Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. We were talking about the idea of seeing life in a positive optimistic perspective versus the negative one. And to summarize the Rebbe's inaugural address when he took on the leadership of the Chabad movement in 1951, he gave the discourse called Basi Ligani. Basi Ligani literally means I've come to my garden. As I was saying before, many people, as they saw the world at the time, and even in the Rebbe's own words, when we see, when we look around with our physical eyes and we perceive the physical aspects of the world, one oftentimes wonders what is happening in the world? This was five years post the Holocaust and the situation of world jury, which was decimated, a third of our people murdered. Obviously, it was not a great state and it just appears from one generation to the next, things getting worse. Goodness doesn't prevail. Conditions aren't improving. The holy and spiritual values don't dominate. You think about a world in which there's all kinds of problems, of troubles. You think about human pain and suffering. You think about uh, immorality. You think about transgression, sin, personal hardships of life. And yet, how does God refer to this world? Not as a jungle. But rather, the word basilegani, those very words tell us that this world is a garden. It's an oasis of beauty, of meaning, of pleasure, of joy. And yet, when we look at it, it appears to be a jungle. And so the idea perhaps is on how we could see the world not as the jungle. And when you see weeds and to realize whatever challenges and obstacles that are there are to bring out the best in us, one idea would be to cut the weeds away. Or better yet, to replace them with roses to improve the situation in the world in which we live. And there's a lot to be said about that, and there's a lot that I do want to share with you about that discourse. But I also wanted to tell you about this upcoming course we're starting. It is called Crime and Consequence. And yes, we're going to be talking about it right here on Chai FM, and you'll have a chance to join in. But if you want to be part of it in person then I invite you to join us on Wednesdays. You have a morning option, 9.45 a.m. at Chabad House, or the evening, 7.15 p.m. at the Kirschgrenes and Kana Center, Santon Central Shul, across the Chow Train Station. Join us in this discussion. And let me share with you some of the ideas that we're going to talk about. You know, if you look at the tour in the Shulchan Aruch, he opens the Choshen Mishpat, the laws of... of uh, well, the Shulchan Aruch is the code of Jewish law, but it's the section that deals with judicial law. And quoting the Mishnah, he says, the world is sustained by three things. First one is law. 
The second is truth. And the third is peace. Law, truth, and peace. And we look there at the Beit Yosef, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law. He explains that all three of these pillars could be seen as related to the entire justice system. Law refers to the judges rendering just rulings. Truth refers to the witnesses, the Adim. They have to give true, honest, genuine testimony. And the third piece is what the Mishnah quotes. That refers to the litigants accepting the ruling of the judges happily, joyfully, accepting the rulings that were applied. Now, we're going to be examining a very interesting and fascinating topic here, which we're going to delve into the rich Jewish judicial corpus to actually understand the principles and what the Torah tells us, how to deal with crime. And we know crime is rampant in our country here. What is the Torah perspective and how to deal with it? Because it's not just here. I was just in the USA. Same thing. Everywhere you go, we need more of what the Mishnah says. Justice, truth, and peace. But how do we get it? Now, no doubt that the judicial system in the country is trying its very best and I'm sure there are precedents and various legislative laws that it's all based upon. But I think it will do us well to understand the Torah's perspective on how to deal with various types of criminal cases. So I want to share with you an idea of what we're going to discuss and invite you to participate in it. And tune in here every Thursday over the next couple of weeks where we're going to analyze various interesting cases. And we're going to, we're going to analyze the Jewish law as it relates to actual contemporary questions of dealing with crime and with criminals, we're going to use gripping modern case studies, real actual incidents, events that have happened in our time. And obviously this is something that's going to give you the perspective that what the Torah says. You know, when I was in the States just a couple of weeks ago, there was actually a very important law that was, or, or a bill rather, that was passed in the United States Senate. And that was related to criminal justice reform. This is about changing the way the law deals with criminals today because it's just not working. It isn't working. And so a variety of movements, a range of movements and organizations who are trying to actually petition the government to change the way they deal with, with criminals today. So, obviously, we all want to prevent crime, and we have to analyze what does the Torah tell us how to deal with cases of criminals, of prisoners. Is our system working? Well, it's obviously far from perfect, and what could we do to change it? So let me share with you some of the ideas we're going to discuss. In fact, next week, next week we start with what's the point of prison? Because that's pretty much what they do today. For the most part, someone commits a crime, they got to do their time, and they're sent to jail. So if I take the United States as an example, they incarcerate far more people than actually any other free country. But the problem is, and I believe it exists here as well, and I'm going to invite Rabbi Katz to join me in this discussion because he is the official prison chaplain of South Africa to share with us some of the perspective and how it relates to Jewish criminals in this country. Unfortunately, we also have 
in our tribe, people who flaunt the law. And one of the biggest challenges we find with prison is the recidivism rate, which unfortunately is very, very high, where people who have committed crimes either have to return to jail because they return to committing crimes. And so we have to analyze what is the current system and how it could possibly be reformed. And I don't think it's a great system. You definitely don't want to be spending any time in the jails here in South Africa. doesn't look like a pleasant place to be. I've been to visit, and I wouldn't recommend anyone trying it. So if you don't want to go there, and people who are unfortunately incarcerated, we have to analyze what are the theories of punishment. Why do we punish criminals? What works? And so if we look at the primary primary theory of punishment as it is elucidated in the Torah, the purpose of punishment is actually to rehabilitate the criminal. The Torah views each person, including criminals, as a human being that is created B'Tselem Elohim with a unique personal mission in life. Every person is indispensable to God's plan here in this world, including you and I. There's no replica. There's no duplicate of us. Each person is unique. No one better, no one worse. Each one is unique. And so the Torah, if you look throughout the whole Torah, you will not see the idea of incarceration, of imprisonment as a punishment that is recommended or suggested in Torah law. Because prison impedes a person's ability to grow, to become who they ought to be, to fulfill their mission in this world. So what is the Torah's perspective on punishment? And that is something that I would like you to join us for in that discussion, to see what alternatives there are to incarceration. How could we perhaps reform prisoners to rehabilitate themselves and their environment to become better people? And perhaps most importantly, to somehow to preserve the divine image in which they were created. And that will make for a very interesting discussion. So stay tuned for a little more of that. Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. My friends, sharing with you some of the ideas that we're going to be discussing in our upcoming exciting course. And next Wednesday, you could join us for Crime and Consequence, where we're going to look at how to deal with criminals. Now think, if you've got a relative who committed a crime, how would you like society to deal with them? Would you like them to be forgiven? Would you like them to be perhaps given a second chance? Maybe not. I think this is something that's worthwhile discussion and to see the Torah's perspective on punishment and see how different it is from the way society does. It will be an interesting discussion. Some of the other things we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about Judaism and the death penalty. Now, what do you think of the death penalty? It is a hot topic debate these days. And many Jews are convinced that they know exactly where Judaism stands on this issue. And what we're going to do is actually analyze and go through the texts of Torah and the Talmud and see what is the Torah's perspective 
when it comes to matters such as the death penalty. And so if we examine the Torah system, where the death penalty actually was employed, but it was serving as a kapara, as an atonement for the murderer's terrible sin, and this was a way for them to reach forgiveness in the world to come. So I want you to join us in that journey, because many people are unfamiliar with what Jewish law there's a very high standard for the use of death penalty. It wasn't something that was just simply whipped out and people were put to death. There was a very high standard. And in times of emergency, death penalty was employed to de- deter crimes. But at the same time, if you examine Torah and Talmud, you'll see how it wasn't so easy for one to just get the death penalty. And see perhaps how we could apply that in modern times. Another aspect we're going to look at, the verse, justice, justice shall you pursue, which is in the Torah portion of Mishpatim, we're going to be reading in two weeks' time. And we're going to look at evidence and the various standards of evidence. The question of the reliability of confessions. When a person confesses to a crime that they didn't necessarily actually commit. What about cooperating witnesses in criminal trials? This is a matter of constant debate and It's been in the headlines many times. And we're going to examine the Torah's perspective on this sensitive matter. Because if we look at some modern cases, people sometimes confess to crimes they actually didn't commit. So we have to know what does the Torah say? Do we actually believe somebody when they claim to have committed a crime? Are they reliable? Are we suspect of their confession? So, there's differences when it comes to monetary cases. Will a person be willing to confess to a monetary crime? What about to a crime that bears capital punishment? So, join us for that discussion as well. We'll look at how do criminals make amends? Can we ever accept them back into society? Can all criminals rehabilitate themselves? Or are some people just beyond help? Should repentance, a person doing genuine, sincere teshuva, should that play any role in the criminal justice system? So we're going to actually see the Torah's perspective of teshuva, how a person can do teshuva, what God forgives one for, what we and you, what we as human beings can forgive a person for. And we're going to look how to move forward, what happens once a person has completed their punishment, whatever it might be, whether it's incarceration or otherwise. Maybe they've already done the restitution that's necessary. What happens next? Do we re-accept them? Are they reintegrated into society? What about criminal background checks? Do you have the right to check if somebody's a criminal? You're going to employ somebody. You want to know, are they a criminal? What if you're just curious? what they call a kachlefer, right? Some people just want to know. Did that person really commit that crime? And Google's filled with searches of people typing in other words' names and looking to see, does an employer have the right to know what crimes a person may have committed previously? That's an interesting topic. And, of course, it's one we're going to discuss. And finally, I think most important, is to address crime before it happens. Because we could deal with punishing offenders and we could discuss how to punish them fairly 
how to rehabilitate them. But I think a more important question that should be asked in this country and probably everywhere else in the world is, how can we prevent the crime from happening? What can we do to make a difference? I know that we at Chabadas have various projects, whether it's ARC campaign, Acts of Random Kindness, and many, many others. And every one of us can do it by preventing, proactively preventing crime from happening. You look around the world, and right here, in our own city, there's poverty, there's unemployment, there's all types of problems that perhaps cause people to commit theft and other crimes. And maybe we could look at some solutions on how to prevent criminals from becoming criminals. And so let's look at the schooling system, education. How could we inculcate virtues and values and character development? How could we turn our own children, if we can't shape anyone else's, into being a mensch? When I was a kid in school, it wasn't just about the education. One of the one, most wonderful campaigns we had every year was called the Midos Tovas campaign, one which helped inspire and influence people to be mentioned, to just be a decent human being. And so that is another important point. If people could learn how to fear God. And yes, let's go back to the mimer, to the original discourse that was taught by the Rebbe. Basi Ligani. Indeed, this world is a garden. And it's not just an ordinary garden. This world is a divine garden. It's Hashem's garden. And if we could see the world as the garden that God created it to be, then we will come to realize it's not the jungle that it appears to be. It is God's garden. And if it's God's garden, we ought to treat it that way. And we got to do whatever we can that the world that God entrusted us with that we could change it. When you see a problem, when you see a flaw, when you see a fault, realize you have the ability to change it. And when you face obstacles or challenges, see what you can do to make a difference. So yes, indeed, it's not a jungle. It's a beautiful garden, God's beautiful garden. And each of us can make a difference by increasing in acts of goodness and kindness and shaping the world. Wherever you see those weeds, see how you could plant Roses, wherever you see whatever problems or challenges the world has, well, don't give up. That's an opportunity for growth. You could change it. And that's up to us. So the next, whatever pain and suffering, whatever obstacles or challenges you see, see how you could transform them. And that's our function and purpose in this world. Don't let the negativity, don't let the pessimism get into your way. But rather see how you could change not just your own perspective, but that of those around you. Again, join us next Wednesday for Crime and Consequence, morning and evening sessions. Thursday, if you missed the Wednesday classes, join us here Thursday, participate, send your messages, call into the studio, and we're going to address these very important topics. Looking forward to speak with you, to see you right here, soul to soul. Ladies and gentlemen, carpe diem. Have a great Shabbos. Stay tuned for Fresh Thinking Up next with Rabbi Ari Shishler.